Man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. You ready to start the show? You want to start the show? There it is. Oh, it's so nice. Luke, we're back, and so is Saint Maker. Love those bastards over at Saint Maker. Yeah, thank you again to our good friends at Saint Maker for sponsoring this episode of Catcher Foxes. Big fans of Saint Maker. It's a good book. A lot of good stuff in there. A seasonal journal. A seasonal journal. Found out my parochial vicar uses them. He has all of his, they're like color-coded, and he's got them all lined up on his shelf. That's awesome. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, so what you been up to? How you doing? Uh, nothing. I'm I'm uh, turning it off. Well, you know what? I'm going to leave Chrome here on. I hear I can hear myself in the background. Is that, is that weird? That is weird, but I can't. I can <laughs> just hear you normally. Something funky is going on right now yeah, in the Skype audio like, world. Yeah, Skype is like, I'd rather you not exist. Well, that's a good point, Skype. <laughs> yeah, it's a, good I'm, Lord. I'm going to argue with you. You're sounding more and more like my mom every day. Ah. <laughs> You were a mistake, Gormley. What? <laughs> I was high as a kite. You hear me? High as a kite. I've never really cared for you. <laughs> now, your brother, he's amazing. <laughs> I get oh, it. I man. get it. Who does the bell toll for, Gormley? Who does the bell toll for? It tolls for thee, my friend. It tolls for thee. Damn straight. <laughs> so what are you up to? Anything new? No. Uh, just busy. Yeah, like, work, work I feel still like we're in the stage work. of life where it's just like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, this is it. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing for you besides, uh, you know, uh, I went on a run. That was nice. Um, I'm reading some good books. Ooh, what are you uh, reading? I, uh, yeah, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. What are you reading are right you? now? What are you reading right now? I'm reading a collection of things. I'm reading 1776 by David McCullough. It's very, very good. McCullough. Very good. Yeah, he passed away a couple weeks ago, maybe like a month or so ago. Oh, so that sucks. I, I like him. So, yeah, I saw his book at the library, and I was like, oh, you know, he wrote it on a typewriter. Yeah, isn't that funny? But that was interesting. So I'm reading that. I'm reading some other classical book whose name I forget by some French guy about Italy. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm reading. Uh, let me find this. I like so Game of Thrones is breaking my heart because I'm not watching it, and you know everything that that happened. So I wanted to like try to read. Another fantasy. I'm not a big fantasy guy, but here we are. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm reading another fantasy book called The Way of Kings by, um, let me see here, Brandon Sanderson. And it's pretty good so far. It's a little weird. Like, I just don't really, like, I think for fantasy, a lot of people like the whole, like, oh, they have this weird thing that happens on their planet. And, oh, mm-hmm. and for me, I'm like, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> the weird names, the weird outfits, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's good though. Like, it's, I like it. I mean, it's fine if like the story and the characters are interesting and the story and the characters are interesting. So, so here we are. Nice. So, and then uh, I read, I'm reading some more poems. Uh, and that's been nice. And I'm, let's see what else. I'm, I got that audiobook on leadership, almost done with that. That's been very good. They go through four U.S. presidents. Uh, it's very left wing. So it's like LBJ was great and so was FDR. And I'm like, mm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but uh, it's about LBJ, FDR, Teddy Roosevelt, and Lincoln. So that's been interesting. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a, a lot of good stuff. A that's lot of cool. good stuff. That's cool. I got one girl puking, the other one having a birthday. Um, my one son, I mean, yeah, just 
My wife has decided that she's going to take up gardening projects in order to be her exercise in those times where she misses going out to the YMCA with her friends and does body pumps. So she's been working mm-hmm. like a like a freaking beast in the backyard. And uh, let's get this done. Yeah. Well, it's been awesome because. You know, we we paid to have my cousin who does landscape architecture stuff come and just rip out all the old stuff, but it made the backyard look like crap. But it all needed to go. Basically, the guy had plants that were like uh, these type of ferns that are like a mosquito mosquito breeding ground and all this stuff. And you know, don't want none of that in Texas. Um, no. So uh, the, the last thing I need is for my house to feel like a Louisiana bayou. So, uh, <laughs> without any of the fun, if you know what I'm saying. Exactly. No alligators. What? How can you have a body <laughs> Damn with alligator no alligators? Bit my hand off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so what we've been slowly doing is my wife has just taken like a corner of the yard. So we bought these cedar um, planter boxes, um, and she's been growing food in them for the first time. We've never done that before. Growing vegetables, kind of like a project for the kids. We planted a whole bunch of awesome flowers in the front yard, and the deer came and ate them all. So that's funny. Yeah. We have to Kill hire a deer. We have to hire an electrician to come out and evaluate our landscaping lights that the previous owner installed because, well, they didn't bury the wires very deep, and so there's just exposed things everywhere that we don't. It's like the lamps that I can visibly see work, but there are like wire connectors and stuff that looks like it should uh, not be exposed. It's definitely exposed. So, yeah, so we got a, a buddy coming out. He's going to look at that He's stuff. He's even mowing the lawn there. I know. I know. <laughs> I Yes, I am pretty reckless with the lawnmower. Uh, it is true. <laughs> but um, so we're just doing all this stuff around the house, and it, and it looks so cool. So my neighborhood is really weird because our row of houses have been here for 20 years. The houses, the neighborhood that was built behind us has only been here for about 12 years. And when they built it, they, they actually raised up the, the ground level with fill dirt um, about, what is it, like 16 or 18 inches. So it's 16 or 18 inches higher than my property. So all the rainwater from their neighborhood drains into our neighborhood. It's really awful. Like some of it gets routed down to the little reservoir thing that we have. But like backyard stuff? Everyone's backyard gets not only their rainwater, but the neighbor's rainwater. So it, like, pushes all this dirt out and all this. And I know, right, suburban suburban Ugh. woes. But it's really weird when you see these, like, standing water because it's two properties full of water dumping out into your property. Ugh. So this is, like, yeah, man. So, like, apparently so- when they first did this, the neighbors, my neighborhood sued their neighborhood. But the money just ran out with the lawyers and stuff and the, the, the guy. Really? You know, yeah. So it's awful. Yeah. It's things like that that just drive me insane about being a homeowner. But other than that, we've started taking these areas. And so we took this one area where we ripped up. We had tons of poison ivy and stuff. Cleared all that stuff out. Ripped all the stuff up. And then my wife ordered a ninja, America Ninja Warrior type thing, track. Um, you use those tension cables and you affix all sorts of dangling things. And they walk on it and they climb on it. And uh, yeah, they got like um, rock wall climbing things on the trees and all this stuff. It's pretty cool. So uh, they've been um, they've been doing that, and they they are nuts. And then my daughter had a birthday party with a bunch of little girls coming over, and they played on that stuff for literally hours. They all woke up and took turns and timed each other and just crawled all over. They were outside all day, which is you know we have two hammocks, two decks that are all falling apart. The hammocks aren't, the decks are. But um, we bought the hammocks, we bought the ninja line. We're slowly doing the vegetable garden and the flower growing and stuff. So it's it's kind of coming along. It looks nice. It looks nice. 
Do you remember when our show talked about deep personal things and this is all we because that's what's, go, what's happening in our lives and now this is all it is? Hey, what's more deep and personal than uh, supplying food with your kids? <laughs> right? That's true. Right? That's true. Well, I think yeah. one of the things that is I'm, I'm not trying to like say that's bad. They just no, no, no. But it's there's always commenting that on Frank, our lives. Yeah, there's always Frank the Tank in the background of my head from uh, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, what is that show called? What, uh, old school, old school. Yeah, where he's like at the frat party and he's like, "We're gonna go to Home Depot later, but I don't know if we'll have enough time. I don't know." I don't know. And they're like, what? That's crazy. He's like, I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> or whatever. And I feel like that so much. Like, you're looking at all the stuff that like I've become thoroughly domesticated. But, um, yeah, man, it is fascinating because I want my house, of all things, I want my house to be a hub for my children's friends. I want them to feel like they can come to my house and have fun and do all this stuff. You know, just be awesome. Have a great time. You know, I want to be the hub, and I'm willing to invest in a cool backyard and a cool front yard. I want front yards for my neighbors, backyards for families and friends, right? And so, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so the next step is building a fun fire pit, um, planting drought-resistant grass so that we can have a little soccer field for my son Noah. You know, it's just stuff like that that I'm like, I want to do this for them. Oh, you're such a good person. Well, it's also because I don't trust anyone else, and I went, I don't trust my kids at their houses. I mean, I trust my friends, but, like, I, you know, you, like, your kids are getting involved in stuff, and it's like, hey, Daddy, at gymnastics, the girl with three different colored hairs, even though she's only, uh, you know, 12 years old and she has a nose ring, she wants me to come over today, and I'm like... How about she comes over to our house? I don't trust those parents. <laughs> and, yes, uh, I am that judgmental. <laughs> uh, man, uh, I've got a topic. Do you remember I texted it to you? You never responded. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, firing up messages. Got your thing. Okay, you sent me shadow work and the rise of middle class serfdom. I want to first talk to you guys about a great new sponsor we have here on Catching Foxes, the Saint Maker. It's time to take a good look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you okay with doing just the bare minimum? Of course you're not, loser. God is calling you to greatness, to sainthood. I'm just kidding. They actually didn't add the loser part. I did. God is calling you to greatness, to sainthood. But be honest, is that the path you're on most days? The Saint Maker is, one, is a one-of-a-kind personal journal and planner to help you reignite your faith, succeed in life, and experience true spiritual freedom. Centered on Catholic wisdom, it's backed by modern productivity science, and it keeps you it keeps you focused, productive, and on fire for the faith every day. Thousands of Catholics are already on the Saint Maker journey and are reporting their amazing results. Uh, they sent me a copy a couple of weeks ago. I really do like it. There's a ton, it's, it's, there's a ton of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff to chill on. I've really enjoyed it. I love being able to, uh, the part about working on different types of virtues. Big, big, I'm a fan of that. Something I desperately need right now, as do we all, sinners. With the Saint Maker free trial offer, you can try it for 90 days, risk-free. If you decide it's not for you, return your Saint Maker for a full refund, including shipping. That's amazing. 90 days risk-free, and you can return it for a full refund, including shipping. My gosh. Take Listen, take advantage of this. Catching Foxes listeners can learn more about Saint Maker and get 10% off their first Saint Maker by visiting the saintmaker.com slash catching foxes and use promo code catching foxes, all one word, at checkout. That's the saintmaker.com slash 
Catching Foxes. Be sure to use the promo code Catching Foxes to get your exclusive 10% discount today. Thank you to the Saint Maker for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Yeah, this has been a, this has actually kind of been on my mind for a while. Okay. And then seeing this, I was like, oh. Uh, this is from an old uh, uh, Art, of, Art of Manliness post. Uh, well, this post is from the January 9th, 2022. But this was the post that they had uh, had from way back when they, they updated somewhat, I think. I'm not sure when it was first posted. But I think it's very interesting. I think it is worth, topic, it is worth talking about. So do you recall the other day you uh, talked about this on the podcast? <laughs> God, we're so boring. <laughs> How you helped your son mow the lawn. Yeah. And it was cool, and, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, the dude is blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I pay a guy to mow our lawn. Yeah. And uh, and then you all proceeded to make fun of me. And I was like, no, 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 you're right. And it started from when I traveled with Glenmere because it was just like, hey, this is kind of uh, – if I'm going to be traveling for work, you know, two weeks a month here, this is like something – what are some little things? Yeah, something's got to be like not worried about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I've thought about that with different things of life, particularly with things like – ADHD, it just kind of, uh, it's more of like a pick your battles, finding, well, like, what can I outsource? Yeah. And this article is really interesting. So it basically talks about how, um, let me just, I'll propose the main thesis of it. And, I, and I've got some stuff we can, you know, go through if we want, or we can just kind of see where it goes, which is really what's probably going to happen. But um, th- the idea is that actually a lot of work that, used to be done by other people, we now do our, ourselves. And that creates this sense of uh, what helps this feeling of being uber busy. So, Gomer, on average, do you think people work more now than they did, say, in the 1960s? The average American. You know, I, works? I don't know how to answer that. I really don't. I, I think in a certain sense, like, I feel like the I, – I, okay, so I want to say, yes, I think people work now more than – if you count all the times people check their phone for work mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the expectational okay. debt that kind of gets caught up in that, right? Uh, but if I think about factory work, if I think about like it was, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, I think those guys worked harder and more brutally. But at the end of the day, they didn't take their work home with them in the sense that they mm-hmm. still had to do stuff, you know, unless yeah. you're in management. So I, I kind of so- conflict. The average American works eight hour, eight and a half hours less a week now than they did before, which okay. you often hear people say, isn't technology supposed to help us now? We work more than ever. That's not actually true. When you account for all this other stuff, we actually do, uh, do work less now. But one of the interesting things about this is that think about how much you do that 50 years ago. When you were doing the same, when you wanted the same outcome, someone else did half of, if not all, that work for you. Okay, like what do you mean? So, for example, uh, I always think of now. This is probably an extreme example. But you remember in Back to the Future when he goes to nineteen fifty-five and he and he sees the car pulls up and like five guys come out to help a, gar- a car that's there for gas. They like check the tires. They oh, put yeah. gas in the car. They they do all of all of you know all of these things and back in the day uh if you went to a general store you would go in with a list and people would then go and get all the stuff that you had on your list and then they would leave with people like sam walton and this was coming this is not like a walmart i also heard a podcast about uh the um the history of the development of walmart from like a business standpoint really fascinating and this this was this was a thing that was coming but they were one of the first 
you know, they're kind of on like the forefront of all of these general stores start to not have that where you just go and get stuff yourself. So you go from here's here's a list, please get my stuff, to now you're spending more time in the store because you're going and getting other things and you're buying other things because you because you are there. And if you think about all like things like um, if you wanted to book a flight, you might pay a travel agent to do that. Uh, if you wanted to do your taxes, you would have you would have an accountant who would do that. If you, I'm trying to think of like some real just like basic everyday things now that we kind of outsource that. And like you know, we check ourselves out at grocery stores. Yeah. Um, all these different things that if you bank, you don't work with a teller. You do the. I mean, we down. I mean, I deposit. If we get if a if we get a check in the mail for for catching foxes, I don't take it to a bank teller. Uh, cater, I we just deposit it on on our phones. Yeah, all of that. Now that's fast. It's easy, but all that stuff are things that we would outsource to other like other people to do. And so the, the argument in you know in this article, and it comes from a couple other books as well. And I'm gonna, I already um, put it in the show try, notes, ladies and sure. gentlemen. Uh, the book is I'm gonna say it really quick. Uh, this is all. Um, uh, Called shadow work is the idea of it. it's by a guy and this book's by a guy named Dr. Craig Lambert, and this book is um, he calls the book like shadow book as as well, and he describes it as all the unpaid tasks we do on behalf of businesses and organizations. So when you think about how often you book a flight, how other you know back in the day other people would be doing that for you, and all the stuff that we do now to partake in a business's product or service. And those and like those things that we are that like we are doing actually adds up to this thing called like shadow work that consumes so much of our times that adds to this like sense of business and adds to a sense of um, a sense of busyness. And when you stop and think about that, I started like seeing it everywhere, which is probably just some sort of weird effect on your brain. But <laughs> like, think of how much stuff that we do that other people used to do for us, even to the point of. You know, we drive everywhere now. It used to be you may take a bus or you would take like a trolley. I mean, trolley lines were everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it it really is interesting. And I think it's actually, to me, this is a product of a technique culture. Okay. Where it's all about efficiency. It's all about, it's all about yeah. productivity. So as a consumer, I would actually think it would be better to do these things on my own because it's increasing efficiency. And so it's almost like, well, of course I would, I would uh, do this, but perhaps it's at the cost of all the work and time and now it takes to do other things. Mm. Mm. So here's the quote from the article. Yet perception is not reality. Since the 1960s, work hours have actually decreased by almost eight hours a week, while leisure time has gone up by almost seven hours. Many will likely find this hard to believe, and partly due to the fact that people routinely overestimate how much they really work by five to ten percent. I've actually seen studies on that, and or you know, and listen to podcasts that kind of go through the um, the statistics of work, and everyone always overestimates how much they work. And it's like the average human works uh, if they're super diligent at their nine to five works around four and a half to six hours of actual like deep work. We also greatly mm-hmm. underestimate our available leisure time. Americans think they have at most about 16.5 hours of it a week. In actuality, it's somewhere between 30 and 40 hours of leisure time. This includes both men and women, singles and marrieds, those with children and those without, the rich and poor alike. In fact, lower-income Americans have more leisure time than higher earners. What's going on? What accounts for the gap? 
for how our lives so, feel and how they're actually structured. I dump that in the show notes. Are people really more busy? This is awesome. This is really interesting. It, it's interesting, too, that they call the article middle-class serfdom. Yeah. And it, the more I stopped and thought about it, the more I, I, I think that I don't really – I think that they're right. And I don't think it's a good thing that we have to do all of these all of these things. It's why I'm – I used to not like the idea of picking up my groceries because I was like, oh, I want to go inside. I want to do it, do it for myself. I felt like I was like, uh, I was, uh, I'm losing a bit of autonomy and like just giving in to, to the system. But now I'm like, well, this could actually be a good thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, of course, that is the benefit is you don't have to go and like do all of all of those those um, things. But if I'm just feeling, if I don't have to do that, I'm shadow work. Then I'm filling it with other types of shadow work. Mm-hmm. Then what's the point? Mm. You know, and and, you know, and and they also describe things like checking your like you know like email and going on the Twitter and doing all this all this, this other stuff. But you know, think about the amount of news, like the newspapers or like the news that like we read. It used to be what was important and good was decided for you per se by what you bought. Yeah. So if you were reading the Wall Street Journal, you knew that what you got was not only good, but some of the best writers in so it was not only important, but some of the best writers in the country. Same thing with your with the main yeah. um, newspaper in your town. And now all that choice is gone. And you then have to like make up so you're doing this work that used mm-hmm. to be done for you that you never um that you never stop and think about. Mm. And I wonder what that is doing to us. Mm-hmm. Not just, and I don't mean just the, these jobs that are gone now, but I mean like the toll that it takes now. Just like think about all the stuff you have to do just to be a normal human being. Mm. Pumping gas, booking travel, bussing a table, blah, blah, blah. It's funny. I mean, like, yeah, you're right. You see all these margins that companies are trimming because they don't want to pay for people to bust tables, so you go bust the table yourself mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And you think of it, the reason why they get away with it, get away with it, quote, unquote, is because it doesn't take that much effort, you know? And, it's yeah. and yeah. you know, why not? Why not just do it? But the thing that I think is interesting is the intersection in my mind with the notion, okay, you, you kind of have two things playing with this. One is the idea of a self-sufficient person. Right? I should want to pump my own gas, be autonomous, get my own groceries, do my own stuff, whatever. But then on top of that, you have um, the notion of uh, what they call, uh, what is it, decision debt or decision fatigue. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was made popular basically by people like Steve Jobs who always wore the same clothes. And he's like, I like this you know, mock turtleneck. I like these jeans and these New Balance sneakers. I will buy 20 of them. I will hang them all up in my closet. Done. I will never have to worry about another thing. And so what people realize is kind of like the, the social science and psychology of it is that making decisions over and over and over again throughout the day causes you to have decision fatigue. You actually don't have an unlimited reservoir of the ability to make decisions. And so... The, the thing that stood out to me when you were talking about this, and I'm glancing at this article, is the real problem might not just be they're asking you to do all these other things like, oh, I, you know, you bag my groceries, peasant, right? It's mm-hmm. not about that. It's about, or, it, it, you know, not just about that, but it may be also there's a thousand 
decisions we have to make and that you mm-hmm. know and now we're constant now we have to weigh what type of gas we're gonna get what gas station we're gonna go to we're gonna go to the cheaper one that's further away the closer one the this the that am i gonna use oh man i left my card at home in order to scan it you know you got to do 500 things in order to do this one stupid thing that people used to do for you that is interesting it is interesting hmm. like think about how many things do you grab before you head out the door well i do the adam sandler song I got my exactly. phone, yeah. wallet, keys. Got keys. My... Yeah. Like, so oh, shit. What I, have... I forgot my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what I have to make sure that I, that I grab. I have to have my AirPods because I, I usually, my phone, the audio on it, it's just weird. So I have, to, I have to have those. Have to have my keys. Have to have my wallet. And that sounds dumb. Like, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not that much stuff. But checking to make sure it's there three, four times a day. 365 days a year Mm. and then think about the um i had a thought i wanted to ask you because i I think i want to but before we go into some of the remedies for this Mm. that are in the article i thought that that would be interesting to do i want to talk a bit about like think about how much now we pay for what we just used to get yep so i mean think about airports think about um grocery stores that's what pisses me off the most yeah Mm-hmm. All these things just for a life of like a quote unquote things that are a luxury now in the past were just what you got. Yeah. And th- the importance of like this in the article of your brain being able being able to shut off for it, but not have to make a decision and to allow these things to, to happen for for you, which I think there's a very there's like a receptive attitude to that that I think is actually really interesting. Uh, and I, I think it's one of the reasons why most of us don't care when this stuff goes away because we're not very receptive. We, it's you're judged by what you produce or what you do. Your worth is in that, according to our, uh, according to our modern, God, God forsaken techne <laughs> culture. Yeah. Like this is where I'm like Balthazar's right. <laughs> like, like this is where my tinfoil hat. The emergencies comes are everywhere. <laughs> well, he, but yeah, and it's, it's if this becomes the norm. Like, what does it say about us when things that we actually might need become a, a luxury? Yeah. Like, things the human person needs, when that becomes a luxury, and I don't mean, like, I'm not talking about material um, of needs here, though we should all be terrified that that could be coming with things like water and, and you know, uh, and and Wait. other things like that. Yeah. But, like, just, like, what the human mind and heart and body, what that, what that um, needs, when that becomes... It, when that be, um, becomes a luxury, what do you do? Uh, oh shit, man! Like th- th- to me, this is this is the end game. Like, do you want to see a friend? That'll be nine ninety five. Do you want to have a conversation? Mm-hmm. That'll be twelve fifty. Subscribe here in order to talk to to a human. You know, like I I really like how funny that you're saying this because now the shadow economy is creeping. Like taxes, we'll do TurboTax. You pay us thirty five dollars. You get to do the TurboTax stuff, and you get to you get to be your own CPA. Good luck not getting audited. You know, <laughs> for most people that's okay, but for me that broke my brain. Sending stacks of paper to a human person who that's their job has freed my mind. Ugh, man, yeah. this is well, funny, it, Luke. I, I I know I always go back to this thing about like how my grandfather just. You know, he when he graduated high school, he joined he um, joined the army for a couple years. When he moved back to Dayton, he was probably I guess so. This is when my mom after my mom was born. So let's say nineteen. I'm fifty seven or so. I think he may have gone out in the later. I'm fifties. I don't recall, but like just had a high school degree 
and bought a barbershop on like, you know, on the first avenue in Dayton and was able to support a family doing that. And only went into sales and back to college because people were really encouraging him to go in to sales, which he did a pretty good job of. He won all these like, you know, like those were the day when you like got like a free um trip to Spain, like you know, like other things if you like hit your numbers. But they never quite really made more than what he made at the barbershop. Yeah, now he did like going back to college. He really loved that, you know, and that, I think that really for him that was a very oh, really? satisfying thing to be able to go and to do that. I mean, he went to college. I mean, full time with a job and three kids. So, yeesh. but like, but then if if to me that sounds, I'm like, how did you even? I don't know, how did you function? It was like a, God bless was a, a whole bunch of suffering, a lot of work. I actually asked my grandma about this when they were here for Christmas two years ago. And, you know, she's like, well, we just really, like, worked hard, and you just kind of, you just um, went and did it, you know, and she had to get a job, and, and she had just actually ended up having a pretty good, she had a, she kind of had, like, a Peggy, like, madman experience in the sense of, like, she just, like, you know, goes in as, like, a secretary, and then starts to, like, run shit, <laughs> but, um, um, but my, uh, she's a badass, uh, but it, it, like, part of me does think, like, when, if you didn't, if you could go to the store, and just say, this is the stuff that I need. You don't have to go in. You don't have to do all the stuff. You don't have to, like, but you're still interacting with, like, people. So your brain's getting some of the human interaction. But, but you don't have to be on. You don't have to, you know, it's just, you're not, like, glued into something else or, like, on your phone trying to make a decision about, like, like what stuff am I going to, like, like, uh, like, um, read. Or when all this stuff is being done for you. Does it make things like that just a little bit easier? Just, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay the hard work that like he did, but was it a little bit easier to do things like that back then than actually is is now? Yeah, I think of the 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 idea of the 1950s and 60s at the gas station, right? Like, what happened to that? How were people able to put their family, like, to feed a family by being a gas station attendant? You know, cleaning mm-hmm. your windows. Airing your tire, like how awesome would that be if we always had aired up tires? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it, but like now, but you can just do that on your own and just pay. Except in Jersey, where and, it's against the law. Yeah, right. Or like go to some weird side thing that like kind of works sometimes and just fill up your own tires. Which again, like, I bought a thing to fill up my own tires, and I carry it in my car all the time. There's this weird thing. That's that's. Yeah. I I, I kind of want to get a thing like that. It's it's weird that like now you're expected to know how to do those things, and that's not necessarily bad. Like. Look at the pioneers where they do everything on their own. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of the farmers who, like, the Sears catalogs, whenever they would sell you, like, an appliance. The Sears catalogs became famous also because they had the blown-out diagrams on how to repair it. Because if you owned mm-hmm. a thing, you had to repair it nine times out of ten. Well, I mean, like, they, you could build your they – they would send you a home and you could just build it yourself. I know. Yeah, the, the, the Sears bungalow. Which is insane. <laughs> But, like, I, I wonder, though, I'd be curious to see, and, I, again, I, this is pure podcast because we're just, like, completely speculating here. If, you know, if you have to do all these things for yourself just to exist, you don't have time to be like, what's on Twitter? <laughs> like, and, yeah. But so you're not making those up. Everything you have to do is right in front of you, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And then everything else is, like, a luxury. In the sense of like, oh, here's a pay record, but you don't have to like make these decisions for yourself or anything like that about like so much of how we have to spend our own time now is just there's nothing that really like one of the things I found very confusing about the not, not confusing that surprised me when we were in Austria, uh, I think it was when we were in Austria studying about like the church and God and things about like how like, revolutions are actually kind of bad. And I was like, excuse yeah. me, good sir. But this idea that like 
as humans, God creates order. So order in itself is a good thing. And so much of what, like, like our world lacks order. And I don't mean, I just mean, like, this is how society functions. Yeah. You know, that, that's all. I do not like mean, like, you know, this, like, law and order, a oh, MAGA thing. That's not what I'm getting at here. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about just, like, this is the way that things work. And then that's kind of, and that's just all just blown to hell. And you have to completely decide how to spend your time because, th- like, everything's urgent because um, nothing's urgent. Yeah, because nothing really matters. Yeah. So, like, where do you think this comes from? I have some thoughts. I'd be curious to get, like, your take. Like, why? How did it end up this this way? Again, we're going to do the most pure podcast thing ever and just completely speculate. <laughs> how did it end up that? Well, I think, number one, it ended up with people trying to increase profit margins and cut corners so that, you know, like, like I, I take the uh, the idea of the first and foremost, the grocery store checkout becomes silly. Like, why would I go to a human being when I can go to this kiosk and be out in two minutes instead of waiting in line? But at the same time, I'm doing now two jobs. I'm the cashier and the checker. I got to now wait when inevitably something doesn't scan correctly. There's a flag because I'm buying wine and now I need to wait for my ID to get checked. You're still having to wait. You're still having to deal with a bunch of frustrations. And you're doing jobs that I, I got paid for. I used to be a grocery store bagger and checker, Same. man. And, uh, oh, Dorothy Lane Market. Um, sweet, but, sweet uh, brownies. <laughs> but uh, it's funny that, like, like, this stuff is really funny because I think, obviously, they want to cut out, first and foremost, like a grocery store chain wants to cut out the... Um, the use of checkers because you know for every employee you're saving thousands of dollars even though you're using sophisticated computer equipment but with machine learning and ai and um you know kind of software is eating the world systems it makes all of that the the costs of doing self-checkout exponentially cheaper right so the technology the sensors the scanners um everything becomes cheaper so it's actually more cost effective to buy an expensive computer machine robot thing and to have people do it themselves rather than pay an employee a a, a living wage or or whatever. Um, So there's definitely that angle. The other angle I would say is, um, oh, I think the other thing is limiting human interactions. Like, it's just easier, let me do it. You know, kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Like, I'll just do it. I'll just deposit my own check so I never have to go into a bank. Uh, Yeah, so I was reading about babies in the workplace unrelated and uh one of the stories i read was of bank tellers having their babies with them in the bank and i thought like well that's got to be the worst place imaginable for a bank teller to try to co-parent while doing telling work and Mm -hmm. the bank reported that people will come to the bank just to see the babies like customers will yeah and so i was like i at first i didn't believe it because i can never imagine a world where I would do that, but I'm like, oh, but this was written in like 2017, 2016. That's when the, like the materials were written, and online banking, mobile banking was a thing, but not as completely like default as it is today. And I was like, huh, I hate going into my Bank of America. I absolutely hate it. I feel like experience. I'm inconvenienced. They're, they're all like ugly, and they just it's all um, barren. Like, yeah. Think about how many banks are just filled with like weird empty things besides a fake plant and some weird art and then just blank yeah, walls. Yeah, it's like this it's the worst of a modernist hellhole. It is a 
gray wall, gray carpet, uh, glass, everything, sleek, lifeless, not warm. And they're not even playing Yacht Rock on the speakers. <laughs> At least give me a little bit of a, a Steely and Dan or whatever the hell it's called. Steely Dan. And I, so I think... I think there are two things here. I think you're totally right. I mean, I, I think like everything that like you said is right. Sorry, did I just cut cut you off? Did you still have nope. any more thoughts? Okay, nope. So you're good. You're I, so weird. Thing. I can this like weird like echo in my head. I can hear my voice, but it's not. It's like just like random words. It's so odd. Um, it. Uh, okay, so one, I totally agree with you about the capitalist profit thing. I, and I, especially after like going through this history. Of Walmart, I've kind of changed my tune on them because they were just like, well, we're just like they weren't trying to become this thing that just destroyed everyone. It was going to take right. over the world. They were just trying. They saw that the next wave was just because before all of your stores had a thirty three percent profit like pr- um, profit margin, and it slowly started to go away. They they just um, saw that coming. And basically, the, the the whole like argument was like they won because people wanted what what they were giving them, which was ridiculously like prices. On on uh, stuff, and that's not necessarily bad because think about right. you know like poor people can then afford things exactly yeah that's yeah, the that's, capitalist argument against every I shouldn't say capital the libertarian argument against everyone who's like uh, I'm anti Walmart and it's like okay who shops at Walmart oh the scum of the earth all the rednecks all the white trash and you, and you go oh you mean poor people right because that's where they can afford crap. Like, that's the thing. It's like, okay, so if you raise, mm-hmm. yeah, they get everything from China and Thailand and Bangladesh or whatever because they can get it there for cheaper. But that means that people can buy it for cheaper. And see, that's the part of the argument that the capitalist system tends to drive down prices because everyone is competing on prices. And when prices go up, generally speaking, it's because people are then bidding on quality. Mm-hmm. So you go to Walmart for always low prices. You go to Target for low prices, but not as low as Walmart, but somewhat better made. Then you go to the mall or you go to this, like a shoe store. I have, I own a pair of shoes from Target. I know these shoes won't last a full year, the last but I'm not going to go to months. Walmart to buy yeah. it. You yeah. know, like I don't like they don't have style that I like. They don't have any of that stuff. But I will buy a pair of flip flops from Walmart. <laughs> you know, like you then begin to like kind of weigh these things. And when you find items that are the same across the board, then the just commodities, then it's like, yeah, I'll just I'll go to Walmart. Why would I go why would I pay a dollar more or ten dollars more for a iPhone charging cable when I can go to Walmart and get the exact same thing, same brand, because they got more buying power, you know, and then it becomes well. Is this sustainable? Then we're only paying employees who are, you know, that because that's when it becomes the system, right? It's like, well, we're going to cut the margins, but then we cut the margins. We still got to be profitable. We still got to become rich. So then it spills out into lower wages, lower benefits. Well, now we got to be competitive, but we can't really be competitive, yeah. so we substitute technology. That's not necessarily true with Walmart because some of their, like, stock options and stuff in terms of the wages and the store and the store manager stuff is actually pretty pretty interesting. What what they offer, which is one of the things that also kind of changed my my attitude towards it. But I, I will say, like I think now I view on Walmart as the thing that our culture created, as opposed to like on Walmart creating this culture. It was coming regardless. It was just this company was the one that did it. 
Yeah, and if it wasn't Walmart, it was going to be Kmart. They exactly. were the people that got destroyed by Walmart, but they yeah. were trying to do the same thing. Yeah, and so, um, uh, but then it's to me it comes down to if you're a culture that only values what you do, because that's all we got now, then you you would value efficiency would be a very would be a very high high value you know, like of your culture. I think we all value efficiency, which is why yeah. I think a lot of, oh, great, I can just do it on my own and I'm out. I don't have to talk. I can do this. I can do that. It'll be way faster. I can just deposit the check, like, on my phone. That'll be easier. I can do this. I can, you know, so we're now, we're, but then all of a sudden, in the name of efficiency, we're doing all these things. This is what they say. We're doing the businesses work for them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're actually yeah. doing the stuff that they are doing. We're, like, we're almost, like, working for them for, like, a hot second. You know, yeah, that's kind of the trade off. And so I don't think efficiency is, I don't think it's, of course, it's, a, it's like a, a good thing, but the, like, like almost everything, there can be too much of a good, of, you know, a good thing. And when we get, and when we value efficiency to a point where it does things like this, where now we're, we have so much stuff we have to do, we actually, it's almost um, self defeating. Yeah. So because it's I, I I do wonder if it's if it's kind of like this. The bill comes due always, right? The things just there's no such thing as a free lunch. Stuff always gets it's not that stuff gets erased for the most part, but it's stuff gets transferred. So that efficiency yeah. that has basically it hasn't, you know, that work hasn't gone away, it's been placed onto us. But it's been placed onto us in tiny, tiny, uh, like we each have like a tiny part. So it doesn't seem like it's that much, but the work is still being done. Yeah. And I, when you have a culture that like like values that, then of course when we see it happening, we don't think it's a bad thing. We think it's a good thing. We we actually think, oh, good for them. This is great. Now I can go into a store. It's not really I'm working out too well. Besides at Walmart, actually, where you can scan things on your phone, we don't have to interact with anyone. You just scan it and go. Yeah, or those Amazon Whole Foods stores mm-hmm. where you walk in, you literally do not, you don't even have to scan it. You just walk in, grab it all, and because your phone is pinging all the Bluetooth yeah. devices, it knows everything you have. I loved Saturday Night Live did a bit on it, and it was so funny. <laughs> They're like, you just walk in and grab whatever you want, and all the black people are like, no, <laughs> what's the catch? This is a trap, and this is a trap, right? It's like, there's no trap. Just walk in and take it. <laughs> well, and and. I think that to me it kind of comes down to ultimately is that this is our culture is just going to do things that seem more efficient. So if all of my relationships can be online, why go out? Yeah. And I, I think it ultimately it just this is a sign of I hate to say this, but it's kind of probably this is what the anima technica on the vacua, what it, it this is what it looks like. It's not exciting. Yeah. It's not it's just dull stuff that now we just have to do in the name of like efficiencies. And again, it's not necessarily it's not bad to be efficient, but let's keep in mind that old quote that God's paradise is a utilitarian hellhole. I'd love that. And like we see these things of like I, I wonder if like God's kinda like, guys, you are living wrong. <laughs> like like I, does the does the does the Christian way, the Christian life actually kind of contradict this stuff should it when we stop and think about this how does this a way of living when you think about the gospel does it actually line up so i i have two things i want to point out so one is there was a, a catholic um web programmer coder something like that and he quit his job they do exist built, <laughs> built a farm 
And he wrote a book called, I think it's called Durable Trades. And he said it's like 195 trades that have been, that, that are still in existence after 200 years. So basically the, that are as old as the country, right? And so the idea was you can do this stuff. Making beer was one of them. You can do this stuff. You can make a living doing this stuff. And it's actually a real thing. And one of his comments was the thing about designing software that felt so dehumanizing is that at the end of the day, my stuff can disappear literally the very next day and all the work will have meant nothing. Like, and, and you know, all, all it's, it's one update away from this amazing software program that he ra- wrote or, you know, whatever, or he updated. The next updates come and all of his hard work is gone or whatever. And no one knows, no one cares, nothing lasts. And he, he saw, like, the ephemeral side of this. Like, th- this is just, this, it's smoke, it's smoke. Uh, there's a line from Ecclesiastes, uh, the repeated line, kind of like the refrain of the book, where he says, vanity of vanities and a chasing after the wind. And you think about that of, like, what could be more a chasing after the wind than this liquid culture that we created? Like, this is straight up a liquid culture. The other thing that um, I'm thinking of is, um, so in the in the article it says, the web has radically uh, democratized, excuse me, this process so that anyone with a computer can create their own videos, be- uh, books, articles, films, so on. Um, this has left the consumer with an enormous and never-ending job of wading into the torrent of media online and sifting the wheat from the chaff. It's funny now. Have you heard of like things like Midjournal or Dolly or other things like that? Have you those words? Uh, Let me say no, it this way: so. AI created artwork. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is becoming an increasingly very big deal. And I've listened to a handful of YouTube um, or a, a handful of podcasts about it. And then I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on this AI generated art. And at first I thought, like, this is so cool because here you feed it into these line prompts like Kermit the Frog, uh, film noir background, cinematic setting on the set uh, or uh, in a frame from Blade Runner 2049. And there's Kermit the Frog, and he literally looks like a character in Blade Runner 2049. And, like, it's like a famous series of Kermit the Frog stuff. But the AI, like, does the whole graphic design stuff and puts them into the the image. And I'm thinking, like, oh, this would be great for album artwork for the show, like show artwork. Like, how cool would it be Mm -hmm. if I took a bunch of prompts and a bunch of things and I uploaded your face and my face and it's like... Uh, you know, like Luke getting punched in the face by a giraffe, you know, <laughs> eating a taco or whatever. He Skyline went, chili. He went off again at the Cincinnati Zoo. <laughs> the line around Fiona's too long. We should all have individual uh, access. <laughs> yeah, Luke riding off on Fiona the hippopotamus or whatever it is. Um, so, and, and it would generate this stuff. But then the arguments from graphic designers is like, you're going to put us all out of a job, number one. And number two, AI art, like the artwork that it creates is incredible. Uh, a guy submitted it to a local art show and it won. And he claims like, hey, I, I said that it was done through MidJournal, but they didn't know what that was. And so they thought it was like maybe like a studio or something. And so they awarded it. Then it came out. Then he published the image. And then people are like, wait, this is an AI did this. He's like, yeah, I wrote the prompts. Right, I wrote the the little words, and it did the thing. And it's fascinating because, like, you see this of all this hard and complicated work is 
that you see, like even like the the technology is so sophisticated that even the artwork that we're going to see more and more is going to become our jobs to create. Yeah. Like I can't paint, I can't paint, but now I'm going to have to learn or buy a series of command prompts. That's now a secondary economy. You buy the prompts. I, I now have to buy this or do this and enter this and learn this and then figure out how to create all this stuff. And that's autonomy. Man, there's this weird. Um, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Like, so in this one part of the, in the article, they're talking about uh, the book um, "Overwhelmed." If, and I don't know who that's by, but it's kind of talking about the exact the exact same thing. That um, instead of experiencing on long, unbroken sketches of time in which we concentrate on completing tasks for a single role in our lives, we are constantly changing the hats we wear toggling from husband to cashier, office worker to news editor, travel agent to father. If you're constantly being Martha, you can never be Mary. Yeah. And if we're called to be receptive, if that's the big challenge of our age, which I really I'm think it is, is attitude of like the church, her disposition is one of um, receptivity, which means all of ours must be that as well, which is why Mary is so important. If we can never be actually be Mary... What the hell are we doing to ourselves? Like if, if our culture is set up in a way where it's actually hard to take the time to do that, what yeah. is that going to do to or what has it already done to us? Like um, a really good a really good buddy of mine, he works for a group um, that has some a really interesting um, work culture, and then they put it all online. And one of their um, sayings is like um, to – uh, I think it's like go like go narrow and then and then go uh, deep, and I've been trying to do that a bit at work, and it's insanely difficult. It's actually re- and I don't even mean like deep work. I mean the uh, the ability to take a lot of time to go really deep onto like one thing. It's it's almost unfathomable to people, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that, like, if we live in a world that doesn't give you the ability to do that, I, I think we're already there because, like, how can you have anything but an experience? Yeah. Yeah, and I think also this lends itself to tiredness. So mm-hmm. this is the Cal mm-hmm. Newport deep work where it's not just, like, like, people feel satisfaction when they're doing their job, right? They're doing the thing that they want to do, love to do, get to do, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Um, Like for me, when I am creating, so I have immersed myself back again. So obviously everyone on the podcast knows my every inner thought, but uh, I've been studying liturgy a lot lately. What? But I've been studying liturgy a lot lately, not because of the tangential things going on in my life, but because we are trying to educate my parish and I'm responsible for the catechesis of my parish. So what I did two weeks ago was I started saying, okay, let me step back into what is catechesis at its core. And I do some basic stuff. I read catechesis through Dende by Pope John Paul and stuff every year. But I was like, okay, I want to. As you do. As one does. But I always, I always do that. And I think I mentioned, that's why I said it so flippantly. But like I said, um, like, uh, as I'm sure, Luke, you have read Evangelia Nuziandi, especially when you were doing ministry. Like that was a handy Bo- um, uh, papal document that like meant something very great to you. Catechesi Tridendi framed everything I did at Franciscan in a very real way. 
And so I started reading pre-Vatican II catechetical documents and stuff like that, what we call the catechetical movement, the charismatic movement. And it like rekindled this fire in me to be like, it's not just about teaching right doctrine. It's about catechetics and what we are doing with catechesis. So I've been, I've been trying at the busiest, the, I would say the last three weeks, um, including next week. So two weeks, last two weeks and then next week are the busiest three weeks of my year at work. And the reason why they're so busy is we, we did, for the first time ever, we had registration end for all of our children's programs. We've, we've done, it ended, and then we had a two-week late registration window. We're not doing any of that. So you have all these people who didn't register. They're like, well, I'm going to get my kids first Holy Communion. It's like, okay, see you next year. Like, you, here's the books to do the home study stuff, but we'll see you next year. And so um, one of the difficult things that, or one of the things that has come about is I don't have time for deep work where I used to have a lot of it. I, not a lot of it, but cause I'm the boss. Mm -hmm. I get to dictate to myself. Now, obviously I have all these responsibilities and stuff, but I get to like set my calendar. Wait, you have employees, your boss. I do. I do. I have, I have many, I have many employees. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that on the show. Uh, but what I'm saying is though I have responsibilities to them and have to get back to their emails and sign their stuff, I get to dictate a large portion of my day. And so, like, I go to work on Mondays excited because from 8 a.m. till about 10 a.m., maybe even 11 if I can make it work, I am just reading and writing and reading and writing. And it's that deep work that makes me feel like, ah, oh, I got shit done today, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. but then Thursdays are my pure admin days. That's where I, it doesn't give, I don't give a crap what else is going on in my life. All I'm doing is emails and phone calls, right, and meetings and all that stuff. Those are the days where I am so drained because I'm doing the context shifting. I'm, like, constantly going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And that's where – that's the deep work stuff of Cal Newport. Like, that's exhausting trying to, like, okay, how do I mm -hmm. resolve this a HR problem here? Okay, how do I talk to this parent who's pissed off that we closed down registration? Okay, how do I tell <clears throat> this mom who – accidentally, quote-unquote, baptize their child Episcopalian, and now they want them to receive First Holy Communion. How do I lay out that? How do I begin to uh, uh, go through our active shooter training for our volunteers? How do I, right? Like, all these things are bouncing around. That's ex That, like, robs us. Because I'm now I'm making a 1,000 decisions an hour, right? It's not like I get to do the thing I really want to do and that they pay me to do. It's I'm mm -hmm. doing all this other stuff that I kind of have to do. Well, you know what's really interesting about that is like, so two things. One, one of the biggest criticisms that the nonprofits tend, tend, tend to get, and I blame the church for this because of all their, quote unquote, all um, of the free labor or how they're, I hate it when churches brag about like, we, you know, only spend 10 cents for every $1 we like raise. I'm like, well, one, that's not true. Uh, two, um, like you're just, you think you're efficient, but I guess you are, but what do you, I don't know. Tons of research and uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we have seen that the more money that goes to a nonprofit's operations, the better your outcomes are, the better your mission is executed. You so you mean first and foremost, employee salaries, mm -hmm. Equipment, yes. Yes. You know, capital things to make it happen. Yes. So, like, if you tend to have and actually raise more money and actually have more money in the end going to programming. So, hmm. uh, and it, 
And what tends to happen, though, is I think why sometimes someone like you gets cut off. And this is, listen, you're always going to yeah. – it's never going to be perfect. So it's very easy for us to idolize the uh, 1950s and 60s for, like, all this stuff, you know. And it was um, never perfect. So I think it's very important to keep that in mind, too. But I, I will say that what if you could hire a person to, like, do all of those – those those all of that stuff? What some people might come back at you and say, that's not how I want my, my you know, money to the church being used. And I'm like, well, it's not yours once you give it away. That's not really a gift, sir. But then, two, <laughs> like, think of what you could do if you didn't have to do that stuff. Yeah. And oh, if, I, I, oh, someone 100%, else could. A hundred percent. I literally am hiring someone right now, and I keep getting ball. I like, I get, I, you know, like in in the Disney or the um, Looney Tunes cartoons where someone's on stage and the big hook comes out, yeah, and pulls yeah. them off stage. Yeah, that's what I feel. Thir- Wednesday, Thursdays, and Fridays are for me. Like I just get going, and then hey, you th- and I'm not saying this is anyone's fault. Like it's not anyone's fault. It's the system. It's just and it, are. it yeah. reaches out. It's an email, mm-hmm. uh, like a parent email, rips me out from youth ministry. Yeah. This thing comes out. This thing comes out, and I just keep saying to myself, like. I am so effing sick of these receipts. I never had to worry about these when I had Mary Beatty full time working with me because she did all of this crap and she was so good at it that I don't even know how to do this stuff because she did it. I never had to see it except to put my John Hancock on there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hiring someone finally to do a lot of this stuff. But I'm like, like certain people, they're like, hey, I sent you an email a week ago. And I'm like, I know. I know you did. I'm acknowledging it. I just can't solve it right now. Give me three days. Also, it's literally on my calendar. <laughs> like, welcome to my world, people. Uh, I would actually be encouraged if a nonprofit, and I still even have that. Oh, within me, bit where it's like that's a big, like it's a big, like you know, operating team. But like, if you have, so it's not necessarily the amount of people, but it's like the more money going to it. Yeah. Again, the the uh, the better your your outcomes are. But even stop and um, think about this, like, so. It's been a while since I've read deep, deep work, and I don't want to um, hash it out again. So, yeah. uh, but uh, I, I do wonder if, like, even the work that you are doing, are you going deep, but are you actually being narrow? So, okay, can, instead of having to, like, hey, this is the one thing that I'm doing, and I'm going to take, like, a, I'm a rifle approach, I'm going to get really, I'm going to just this one thing, is it, I'm going to go deep on these, I'm going to go deep on these two or three things here. So instead of trying to like mine all aspects of this one thing, I'm going much deeper than I could on these things, but I'm still not getting to the heart of something. I'm getting, I'm, I'm going, it's deep because you're able to focus just on these things and you're not abstracted with all of like, this like busy work, but are like, and this is more of more of like a hypothetical thing. Like, are we still doing all of these um, different, um, different stuff, but it's just, it's just through the lens of deep work. Yeah, I would say for me, the the I think deep work gave me a conceptual framework sure. in which to mm-hmm. evaluate my own stuff. That I forcibly put what I would consider all these shadow work type jobs. I forcibly put them in their place, out uh, away from my deep work. And my deep work is on one thing, um, like for instance, um, doing a deep dive. So I'm going to create catechetical guidelines concerning the reception of Holy Communion, right? So what do I have to do? Well, I, I get I, the great joy of writing too much and then paring it down to its essentials so that it can be a pew card in English and Spanish in all of our pews. Like, to me, there was so much, you know, I'm reviewing 
I'm reviewing dozens of churches and how they talk about it and do this and all the framework. I read the entire catechism on the Eucharist uh, in, in, in part two, um, part two, section two. Um, I go through all of this stuff. To me, that, that I would say, is the deep work. Then, like this week, now it, it changes mm-hmm. weekly, mm-hmm. so it's not, for the most part, it changes weekly. Maybe some projects will last two or three, four weeks. But now I'm focusing on moral catechesis. If I had to teach a handful of high school students for the next semester or next academic year on morality, how would I fashion a morality curriculum? Yeah. And yeah. so then I'm I've already read like once I have something like that, Luke, it's so funny. I've already read four books on moral theology, like moral uh catechesis texts, right? So stuff of the nineteen thirties, stuff from mm-hmm. the eighties, nineties. So to me, that's the deep work that I love. Like, and it energizes me because I stayed up last night till two o'clock in the morning, handwriting my notes mm-hmm. on uh, off a text that I was reading. And to me, that to me that was like a true deep, deep work that energizes me, even though I'm doing exhausting yeah. work. Right? Hey, I have to go pee. I'm like a mofo. It's another Pat and Luke pee pee break. I want to have a cocktail right now. They lost today to Marshall. No one cares. <laughs> All is vanity. Um, so I want to add one real quick thing before. So, we, we, so I talked Please about do. how like like operations and all that stuff. How it actually, if you have like a, a more things going to, to that, and you can make more money. I think that's kind of like a again that that like love of efficiency to a point where like sometimes it can blind us to what actually is efficient it's just like perceived efficiency and this other thing this might be a bit of a stretch but i found the thing from an from an episode of ours in my notes when i was trying to find some stuff from this is from from november 4th 2015 and it's a quote from the catechism Boasting, um, this is from paragraph 2481, I believe. Boasting or bragging is an offense against truth. So is irony aimed at despairing someone by a maliciously caricaturing, caricaturing some aspect of his behavior. When irony in a way of like trying to tear a, a person down can have this sort of weird detachment to it. And I also think it can be like, like a quick way to, to like, just like um, really jab at a person. I suppose to try to understand what's actually going on. You're seeing a hmm. lot of it with the, uh, with queen Elizabeth's death. And it's very easy to not want to try to understand a thing. And to try to take the time, because who has the time to really understand a thing in all of its depth? And it 
And that's why I think, and I do, I wonder if like this is why ironic culture has kind of become this really big thing because it's just easy, it's much easier to jab than it is to try to understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so I, I don't know, man, it's, um, I, I just really worry sometimes that like, that like, this is what, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to all this because I feel like everything that's been proposed by people in the church, specifically all of the demigods out there, your Taylor Marshalls, your whoever, it's just the same thing, just packaged and expressed in a different way. It's still driven by like power. Like it's still driven so. by like technique. It's still yeah. driven by a desire to win as opposed to receive and to be. And it's just to, like I'm going, you know, like having to suffer is really difficult, and there's a cost. And I've and when you're suffering through a through a thing, you start to like when like you see the cost of it, like the hidden cost of it. It really sucks, and it's really difficult to try to like be like man. I can't like I just can't be on my A game because I'm going through some tough crap right right now and it and so much of our culture is like well have you tried this app have you tried this have you done that as opposed to like just accept the fact that it's bad which actually makes it better in the long run like when you accept the fact that a thing is bad it actually is better it, it you'll have things will get better actually faster if you just like if you take if you take the attitude like of the buffalo where they like run into a storm as opposed to trying to get away from it if you just take the storm head on and you go and you go through it you get over it faster and it's actually better for you in 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 the long run but like being efficient means you don't have time to be sad you don't have time to do these things that don't produce anything and we just don't and like think of all the ways that we just dehumanize ourselves in at the altar of efficiencies and i, I get I, it's not that efficiency is bad but it's just this is like the distorted up version of it yeah i i don't know how you so get out of this i I, well, really, I mean i really don't so this is where i have a buddy who's reading uh who has been reading for years on the life of the amish and it's not because he wants to be Amish. He wants to understand how can this tradition, right, this way of life endure, you know, 400 years or 300 years when everything around it is rapidly advancing away from it, demonizes it, mocks it, you know, all this stuff. How does mm -hmm. it endure in our modern culture? And the only way that it endures is by saying we will not be that. And being, like, they don't take the moderated view. They take the, there are elements of this that are antithetical to what it means to be a human, to what it means to be a Christian. And they burn it to the ground, so to speak, right? They just say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have computers in our homes. We're not going to have televisions. We're not going to mm -hmm. have Wi-Fi routers because we know that that will destroy communities. So they, they have a discernment of technology and what technology they'll allow. A lot of people think they don't have any technology. but And so he's been reading this stuff, and it's like, okay, there, there is a romanticism that people have with, especially family-oriented people, with communities, with farming, mm -hmm. homesteading, all mm -hmm. that stuff. And I've been there, done that, got the Remember YouTube Remember when we talked about almost buying a farm? <laughs> last uh, night, I was, I'll check it out last night. Last, the other day, I was really into uh, wood ovens to maybe, like, 
to put replace our fireplace with, with one, how could it help our heating? Then I thought that after watching maybe five YouTube um videos, I thought about how much work it is to actually like have to put wood in your in your like in that <laughs> every morning and every evening and every night. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to do it. Yep. Yeah. So there are these things like I think one of the the problems is there's zero intentionality when it comes to this stuff that disrupts us. And when we start to add intentionality to it, everyone around us calls us idiots. Are you really canceling Twitter? Are you really going to do it? Are you really going to do it? Like, why would you, why, why would you think removing – are you really going to stop watching the news? Are you really going to stop? And it's like, yeah, it's all a lie anyway. Might as well get my propaganda from other sources that doesn't rob me of my peace. Like, I want my propaganda from propaganda. Thank you, good sir. <laughs> I walked in on my kids and they were listening to propaganda today. They're so great on their on their Amazon Alexa device. Uh, <laughs> so, like, there are things. Like, I, I think there. The, this is where we come to the fact that, like, we talk about systemic racism and and all this stuff. There are systemic um, ways of doing life that are inherently polluting, corrupting, anti-Christian. You know, we were talking about that in the beginning, like. We've set up systems that make it impossible to transfer from Martha to Mary. We all acknowledge that we have to have a Martha component in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. But my dad did not come home from his very stressful job and then spend eight hours writing a blog, making a podcast, (laughs) maintaining a website, doing a side hustle. My dad had a job, and when he came home, and he was tired, right? He was tired from his work. He came home from his commute and all that stuff. Uh, knowing what I know now, I wish we lived closer to his office. You know what I mean? My dad had a typical downtown corporate job, so and we lived in the Burbs. Now, I lived in Tulsa, mm-hmm. so it wasn't, you know, like L.A. traffic. But I do believe and am feeling the difference. I live eight minutes from work, 15 minutes with extreme traffic. Wow, 15 minutes was what? 15 minutes was the best day when I got all green lights from my previous house. And it could be up to 45 minutes to an hour with traffic. And so, like, there are things that we do in our lives that I think we bought into a lie. But then there are things that, are, that we can't change that are system, uh, systemic. Like, see the episode Happy City. There's a YouTube channel called Not Just Bikes that I've watched for years. But, of course, I've started doing a, a, a consuming deep dive on it. But, like, some of the stuff they talk about is, like, how we build our homes and roads and cars isolates us more isolates us more that the Amish would never permit they would never permit people being so isolated from one another that we don't even care about what's going on in other drivers lives that we'll end up gunning down other drivers you know in road rage road rage road rage means you don't have community in your life right like in a very real way you don't know these are all anonymous people and they're all angry that other people mm-hmm. are on their roads so I do think that that's a problem, and I think that there there has to be an element, Luke. There has to be where we as individuals and as families in particular um, and as single adults, we have to get – we have to yoke ourselves to one another. We yeah. have to. Yeah. I think you're right. But there, I, uh, Remember that weird guy's um, – that email I'm using that you didn't like? You thought it was very pretentious. I forget his name. Uh, it was something about beauty and the – and Christianity and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I subscribe to him now. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like Simon Sayers or, or yeah, yeah, I subscribe yeah. to him. I get his things. Did, did you see the like um, recent one about the house that he's building and how like like 
actually like a lot of like on the modern how they like building like mansions actually are like ugly when you consider what architects do to make a building look good oh no it's I have really it, fascinating. i have his last episode in my in my queue or his last uh, okay. article this like, is why i got real into the whole like i want to buy a wood stove thing mm-hmm. um he was basically so and i was doing like a deep dive on not a real quick it was not a deep dive just so i was <laughs> skimming some some stuff and and it was talking about how um uh like the way your house is like just designed is so effed up it's so like antithetical to our actual needs <laughs> so yeah. like yeah. for example like where you put your windows depending upon where like 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 where like you live if you live in a place that gets cold in the winter you want to have your windows to be where like like uh where like, the sun is for the bulk of the of the day but like most people don't have that choice because we just um, live in like boxes and rows so it's luck it's either luck or it's like intentional or you have to say I'm, i don't want this house that i might like everything else but it's because it doesn't face you know whatever but think about like how that could help with your heating costs or they don't even like have the houses don't have um, windows in like in the right spot or they don't really have enough of them or they do them in a way where it's like they think it looks good but it actually kind of um doesn't and you compare it to how like houses um used to be it's like oh these were like you you can buy i remember hearing a person to talk about this how um when you're getting the things where you want to have it to like look good, but it serves a purpose, you should always balance form and function. So with this was a plastic surgeon. That was that was their basically um, their version of the um, Hippocratic oath was like you're always going to do your best to balance like the form and your like um, form and function to the point where like if yeah. you were to lose a thumb, there was I think they would take your ring finger. Because that would replace your thumb with that because it looked good. It looked as good as it could, and you didn't lose out a ton of function with that. Hmm. I don't remember, like, which finger it was. But it was just – it was really interesting to hear how that – but, like, we have – we have, like it's, like, either, like, we go extremes now on both ends. And so it's – um yeah. and I don't know. It, to me, it's all, like – it all kind of, like, goes back to just this – just this idea of, like – Things don't matter anymore, and it's just about like what can you do that works now. And <laughs> it'll be, and if it's out of style, it'll be back in in about you know about twenty years. So just kind of like hold on. So, all right. So here's some things from the website that I think. Uh, if do you, do you have time to do this? Yeah. Okay. This is from this is from the um, the art of manliness article again. It is called uh, Shadow Work and the Rise of a Middle Class Surfdom. So something light. Um, Here's some of the remedies that they that like they recommend. I think I think your thing about actually having um, community is paramount on that. So one is develop a new mindset on busyness, and so um, this idea of like really make sure kind of like deep work stuff, pretty much. Let's do stuff that's actually going to like make things happen. As opposed to things that you think are like, I'm just being busy, so that means I'm doing I'm something. But actually have a purpose with what you are doing deep, deep on purpose. And I think part of this, too, though, is, you know, telling you that's telling me that story about your dad. So, like, um, work's been stressful just because it's the beginning, the beginning of the school year. There's a lot of stuff that, we, that we've got to do in terms of in terms of funds that that we need to raise. And I've made the decision that when I get in the car, that's when I have to, like, kind of, like, transform. From being in work mode to to coming home, and I've really been working work on work mode um, to rock god. 
Yeah. I've worked on like being vigilant about that actually of having this attitude of like I'm gonna be really sure that like I'm on guard for like this is my time at home. And it's been really nice. And so I do wonder if part of this is, is like when do I need to be busy and when should I not be busy? And those two things are very important. Yes, they are. That's your cue to add anything. <laughs> yes, they are. No, I, I think busyness busyness is the status symbol, right? Mm-hmm. And for people to be like, oh, rise and grind, you know, and all that crap. The um, the reality is we have a job to do, but we let, uh, as knowledge workers, which is the majority of American jobs, we let our our emails define our existence. And that's why Cal Newport stuff is so important because the next – Actually, the last book that he just had was called, um, oh, shoot, what was that called? Whatever, Taming the Interactive Hive Mind, and it was uh, A World Without Email. That's it. And the idea is for many of us, like, what, what does it mean to do your job? I tell people all the time, what if your, ser- your server went down and you couldn't get email for a week? What would you do? And every time I say it to a group of parents, all different things, you know, at a church, they all, like, have this, like, sigh of relief. They're like, oh. Like, it's like they won the lottery. They're like, I would get so much work done. And then I say to the people who say that, I go, then what are you doing besides getting your work done? What is the thing you're doing? Like, I'm answering email. But what is not getting done? Well, my job. But is your job to answer email? Well, yeah, I guess. And it's like, but then you just said you would get so much work done, right? Like, mm-hmm. but the busyness, I think, and, and this is true of me. I mean, let's be honest, right? Uh, uh, a monkey could edit these podcasts. Uh, in fact, I can't wait till AI starts editing podcasts. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Oh, I can only imagine what it would be like. Um, but the the busyness as a symbol, I uh, so systemically that's very true. So I, as a boss, have to fight that for my people, right? Like this is the thing that I think people miss out on is like corporations have a responsibility to address these things like no this is what our work culture is you get your job done you crush it you go home right have you ever heard of uh shoot what is it called uh, quiet quitting you ever heard of that yes. phrase quiet yes. quitting yes i think quiet quitting is the biggest bs thing i have ever heard in my entire life you won't hear this often from me but i 100 percent agree with trevor noah Um, (laughs) I I like him, Uh, but, uh, he has this thing where like, so I watched about 20 videos of newsreels, CNN, MSNBC, um, uh, Fox business, uh, CNBC, yeah, the CNBC, that's their business one. Um, I, I listened to a bunch of things talking about quiet quitting because I'm still fascinated with the great resignation. And a lot of people are saying, oh, well, quiet quitting is an extension of the great resignation. Mm -hmm. It's just a different phase. And so when they define quiet quitting, I thought they were going to say it's people who are like they stop doing their job, but they don't tell their boss and they wait for their boss to like fire them or Mm -hmm. get to the point where they're. No, it is people who at the end of the work day go home and don't do work. And I was like, what? How is that quiet quitting? And then the guy from Shark Tank was like, you know what I call those people not employed at my company? Ah, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, what do you say? If you want to be available to do this and do that and have family dinners and go to the soccer game, that's great. But you're not going to work for me. And I started thinking about that. And I was like, oh, why? Why? Like, you're going to lose out on amazing people who also want a family. That's what that means. Like, if I don't have work-life balance, and it's different for everybody, it's a tricky thing, but, like, quiet quitting really pissed me off because 
That's what work should be. It should be, I did my job, I put in my time, unless there's emergency, don't contact me until the next day. And I go to great lengths so that busyness, because that's what happens, it's fake busyness. Mm -hmm. The woman who ran Popeyes before she was the president, she said they were doing 297 different projects or something like that, and, and she was interviewed with Andy Stanley, and he goes, okay, well, after you became president and gave them all direction, she said, now we're doing nine as a corporation. And she said, the thing is, when there is no direction for a company, it's not that people do nothing. It's that people do anything and everything. Mm -hmm. They stay busy. Yep. Yep. And it's like, so if we are doing that as a culture, what does that say about our culture? Mm -hmm. We have no There's, direction. Yeah. It's, I completely agree. Like it's, to me, it's just I'm now at the point where like I'm um, – you – it's just it's ridiculous. You have no right to my time. Yeah. You know, like, you pay like, me for my forty hours, and this is why Great. I think like sometimes the queen. This is really interesting. Did 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 you read Ed Condon's article in the in the pillar? And that article, but it was in uh, the email about trying to explain. I like, got the email. I read the email. Yeah, I loved how he said like she, he was like she have to okay it's like he, this is why she's important to British people. She views yeah. her job as like evocation. She's an embodiment of what we strive to be, and I like when we say God, God, I'm um, saved the queen. We also are saying God save England. Like this idea of what England is in terms of like our culture as a people and like, and like who we want to be. I thought that was really fascinating. And I think it's so hard for a lot of people for especially Americans and myself included to wrap their minds around because it's just like, even though we're a country built upon ideals and that strive for ideals, we don't necessarily live for ideals. Really? We just like, I don't know what we live for. Like, so it's just, it's this kind of like, if you can't get your job done during the day of when you're working, and again, there's a lot of nuance here. Okay. Some people have jobs where it's like, listen, I got to be available because I, you know, I think about, think about like, you know, like Uncle Wade is coordinating crap all over the world. That's kind of a different thing. That's like a decision that they've made that this is the work that I'm going to be doing and, you know. And that's fine. But this idea that, like, everyone should have – should, like, you don't have a real job unless your job demands all of your time. And it's like, well, what does then, – then a vocation makes no sense. So the only way this makes sense is in the context of community. And what I mean by that is I think of the medieval guild craftsmen, mm -hmm. right? So you're a blacksmith. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You're blacksmith – in a medieval guild attached to a city, you are the equivalent of a lay religious order. You had fancy banners, you had leaders, you had ways of life, but you had brothers. You knew everyone's family. You went to masses on feast days for your guild's patron. That's what, this is where like patronage comes from, right? Like a lot of this stuff, it's like we're the patron of fireworkers uh, or firefighters, uh, staff members, cancer survivors. It's like these these people and pop tabs. Yeah, they they had they these guilds elected these saints for whatever reason, right? And it became a part of their culture. It came a part of their life. And so the thing that drives me absolutely batshit insane is when we have these structures of the idea of a vocation and we tie it to a job and then we say, you're not a good worker unless your job is your life. And then you start to push back and they say, well, look at how it was back then. It was their life. It was everything, you know? And it's like, yeah, see, but here's the difference. Their job made room for 
their family, their community, their city, their town, their church. Like it was all the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all yes, yes. So yeah. it's that's not. A, a I'm choosing between it. my job, my career, or my family. My family is naturally a part of it, or my community, my church. No, my church is holding mass that all, like, on this feast day, all the cobblers are coming. And, like, that's the thing that makes it different is now it, we have these associations, and it's like, all right, here's your political action statement. Go call your senator and tell him to do this. Like, all right, I'll send an email. You know, like, and that's about it. Right? There's a handful of stuff, but that's about it. It was nothing like it used to be. So we use this language of vocation, but the words mean mean totally different things. That's interesting. That's the McIntyre critique of morality today, is we have the language of politics and morality, but we don't have the actual, yeah. like we say good and bad and evil and community and common good, but we don't mean the same thing that they meant in the 13th century, especially not what they meant in, you know, fourth century bc athens and so but we use the same words there is um, something like really interesting about like when you're on part of a team and you guys are all in and you're doing awesome. something yeah. together yeah. it's wonderful it's wonderful and it, like i like i think back to like some of my happiest times in my career has been when i've like enjoyed the people that i am I'm working with and the stuff we're doing is very exciting and we're seeing them and we're like and we, it's it's almost like the difference between uh creating like creation and just like mindlessness because to me that's that's the opposite of the two things it's not really like it's not not doing anything it's it's not having yeah. any sort of point or having any sort yeah. of purpose so that's really interesting um all right i'm gonna go, go cool. to, to the next part here um outsource where you can uh this is really interesting because i think there's something again very, uh, very uh, American about doing it yourself, being a being a jack of all trades, and I like that. But with the way that, when if you look in the context, if we live in like a shadow work world, yeah. you're going to go crazy, which I think is what's happening to a lot of people. Yeah. And so, one of the things that I'm struggling with for me is um, I would love to be able to get to a point where I just have like three or four things that I read, and that's it. Like maybe I do need to get off of Twitter completely. Um. I got back off for sports. People are finding me, not finding them. Um, it uh, it's just me, Nicki like, Minaj, and the okay, critical so, drinker. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So if like, and there are some great things about about Twitter. I really do mean that. But there's also like, this is again, it's just too much. So part of me just thinks like, okay, why am I on Twitter? Because I want to see things that are that are going on in sports. Can I just let the athletic yeah. do that? Do I need to be have anything else? Or can I just say these are the five things that I read, and just leave it at that for a period of time, and not have to constantly be on the search for other other things, or not even on the search, but just like wanting to be in a thing where I'm getting all things at all, at all times. I like the way he put it. Um, the DIY ethic is admirable, but only when you're doing it yourself for yourself. Putting in time for a corporation doesn't satisfy the soul. I like that. Yeah, and I just, I don't know, like, this is why I'm kind of, like, I guess okay with a, with a lot of this, like, p- picking things up or even having stuff, having stuff, like, dropped off. Because if it, like, saves you the ability to spend more time with your family, I'd, like, if I, you know, so if I want to drive to Costco, it's a 14 to 15, 14 or, like, 15-minute drive from here. So that, that's a half hour, right, 
right there. Then there's having to park, there's having to go in and, and, you know, having, and having to get everything. So it's an hour and a half. It's an hour and a half just, just to go over to Costco. Would, is it worth paying the $9 to not have to spend that hour and a half there? Hmm. To me, I think it is. Like, and I, I know some people might view it as being I'm lazy, but I'm like, I don't like, I don't know if it really like, I'd rather be with my family. Yeah, the pandemic enabled all that contactless um, payments and all that stuff, and one of the and deliveries and all that. And one of the things that was so great for Shannon was the grocery store will do her shopping for her, right? So she spends 20 minutes mm-hmm. loading up her cart, reviewing it, adding a few new things. And then at some time that suits her day, she drives over in a 20-minute window or whatever it is, and they do all the grocery store shopping for her. And she said, it's funny because you can't use coupons in our area like when you, when you do it, so you have to pay the full price for all the stuff. She said, but at the same time, you also don't get sucker punched by being in the grocery store and being, oh, this could be cool. Oh, this could be. So you never over, you don't pay for things. Uh, you, you stick to your list, basically. And my wife, yeah, Chia pets are kind of cool. <laughs> well, I guess I do need a new walk. I mean, the old walk still works, but I could get a new one. A new is nice. Mm-hmm. I guess we do need a second bread maker. Uh, one for gluten, one for gluten free. So the, but just the idea of like, like when I start thinking, the yard maintenance is always one of those things that I think about because I think it's important for me to physically do labor. Like, I need to do that for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. And then yeah, 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 I yeah. also feel the importance of, and Dr. Hahn actually used to talk about it in class. He said, you know, for when your kids are young, you might want to outsource the lawn care. But when your kids are able to mow themselves, maybe you want to take that on just so you can give them responsibility and hard work and sweat of your brow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my son Noah got his first lawn mowing gig. Thanks, Joey and Angie. And, uh, I mean, I... I had to mow <laughs> more than half, but uh, to help him out, <laughs> he still got paid, kept all the money. It's fine. Um, it's fine. I'm fine with it. Uh, but Give Papa Gomer 30% yeah. cut, huh? It, that old it's called special. a dad taxi, son of a... So, um, no, but, like, there is this thing where I think of, like, especially at my old house, like, this is going to take me 45 minutes. I would rather someone else have the lawn equipment stored at their you know at their house i free up Mm -hmm. my garage so i can put in a gym or space for my kids bikes or woodworking crap that i'll never use but can dream i can dream but like that's the thing is the the costs are also the finite space that i have in my garage right so i gotta put a lawnmower and a weed whacker bare minimum but there's always more yard stuff we want to do a garden so now that that involves different stuff so it just starts to add up and when it starts to add up you say okay What's mm-hmm. the part that I can do that's easy, and what's the part that I can do that actually has a return on investment that's better? For right now, lawn care is well, and- really the only physical work I'm doing. Uh, so it's a beautiful mm-hmm. release for me. So that's a DIY for me and for my family. But I can see in 10 years when my kids are grown, like being like, adios, bitches. Goodbye, lawnmower. See, yeah, I I like that. And uh, we've actually been doing stuff right now, and I'm I'm, I'm sure that like I'm, you have to. And I know we've talked about this before, but like having your kids doing chores, so like Everly helps put the yeah. dishes away, and she it's her job to open up um, Zara's kennel like in the morning, and and we take her out at night and stuff, and 
And I, I, I could see the lawn becoming a thing like that in the future. Cause I, I'm, I'm with you. I love doing um, yard work at it. Uh, it's, it's, it's there's something about it's just really enjoyable. But like one thing too that, and they talk about this a bit in this article that I've started to do a bit is stop. Res- I haven't done the stopping the researching part. I have done the talking to people in stores part about like allowing other people to like tell you what you need as opposed to you having to go find what like on what you need so if i you know i went and bought a i knew what i like i pretty much i'd done like a bunch of a, a research for like the shoes i want to get because i've got really high arches and bad supination and so i was like okay i i know it's this but i want to see what like what like these people have to say and it was a really pleasant experience to go and be like this is what i've got this is what i need tell me what you guys have uh and i there's always stuff that like um, uh, you can learn. It's just better when you're doing it with another person, as opposed to this like. And, and, and again, there are like there are times. The bulk of the time, you probably don't don't have the ability to do this, but when you can, do I need to spend an hour trying to look up all these different things about what are the right shoes that I need, or can I just go to a really good store and go yeah. and get it? Like there's something to that 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 I think is um, uh, that I find to be like I really want to go on I really want to go like buy some wine at like a wine tasting, and I don't necessarily want to like taste a bunch of stuff. I want to talk about like one specific kind. You know, I don't want an experience. I just want to understand more. Um, set no brainer blocks on your devices i think that's i think that's good to a point I, it's easy to get around that stuff yeah. I find. where there's a will there's a way so yeah it, to me it ultimately comes down to just sh- i will shut my computer down and i will just put it on I'll, like i started doing calculations yesterday on a piece of scrap paper that i would have done in excel because i just didn't want my computer yeah. open i have been writing in this composition book i stole from my daughter uh, <laughs> in order to take <laughs> notes for classes that I'm going to teach, you know, like I'm right there, right there with you, like handwriting things, mm-hmm. thinking things out, making it more physical has, it, it just, it pulls me away from devices, which it's not the devices themselves. It's the things that you can then do with your devices that take you down the rabbit trail. Well, I got this open. Oh crap. I got a Slack message. I got an email. I got a whatever. And now my day mm-hmm. is ruined when all yeah. I wanted to, like literally last night at, at one, two o'clock in the morning, I'm rehearsing a talk on this moral theology catechesis and it's just in my brain. And I'm like, I don't have to do anything else other than just think about this right now. It's probably why I did it so late at night, but I'm handwriting stuff. I'm coming up with all these ideas and insights. I loved it. And um, yeah, the, the, I, I had, my phone was in a different room charging it wasn't steel. It wasn't acting on me. So, all right. What's the next one? Mm. Uh, check out from production and consumption. I really like this idea. So obviously, there's the idea of like a tech Sabbath where you maybe take like like a, like a, a week off, or you have yeah. on that frat doing like a whole month. Some people will like you know do it on like a Sunday, but they even say just this idea of like, hey, I'm after 10 p.m. at night. Don't you can't buy anything. Don't go on Amazon. Yeah. I think it's harder. I think it's, I think really it's cool easier idea. for people to clock out of production. Yeah, you don't own me, work man, than it is to clock yeah. out of of consumption. So, like, we don't shop on Sundays. Yeah. Like, that's a thing for us, and it is so hard sometimes because 
It because Saturdays stuff, yeah. are days where we're doing shit. You know, like we're working in the yard. We're doing trips to Lowe's to get River Rock and Mums and all sorts of things that I never thought I would have an opinion on. <laughs> like we're going and doing that. And then Sundays, you know, we go to mass. We hang out with the families. We meet friends. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, hey, you guys want to come over? Oh, let me run to the store and get eggs. Let me do that. And you're like, uh, yeah. Well, and, and that's why you kind of have to, I mean, it's it's really like the hard part of this stuff is when you have to start to, uh, it's easy to talk yeah. about. It's much harder to do it. When you have to start to cut things out and like just make choices and that can become, uh, and it, that is, that and is it becomes easier easy. when you have um, other people doing he, it with you. Again, the community thing. That's and true. I will that's say true. this. Yeah. There's we, a reason know. why the com- first command or the um, third commandment on the Sabbath demands that we stop work. Right? Like, I can't enter into worship of God with my iPhone still blaring as I'm walking into the church. Right? There's this point where, like, I can't mm-hmm. rest until I'm – I can't worship until I rest. And having a tech Sabbath, like, like they, they recommend, I think is very important. Yeah. So okay. there are t- two more. Uh, th- this one is be a most satisfactor rather than a maximizer. So the idea that uh, like the Steve Jobs, like this is the outfit I'm going to wear. Uh, I I found this to be really cool. Like I do a thing where um, I I found a lot of uh, uh, like a, a lot of benefit with the Amazon sub- yeah. subscribe and save. It's kind of an example of like putting this to use for for you. Um, and I've started to find. Um, like, what are the things that I really just want to have that I don't have to – what are the choices that I know I don't need to make anymore? And how can I just get yeah. that here automatically for me? Which is still doing the freaking work for yourself, but at least it's like – You're front-loading it. You're front-loading it. it so that it does it by itself. And that's that's yeah, the standard, that's like, uh, mental drain fatigue, you know, decision fatigue thing. Like, get all your bills automated – Get all the stuff. The best thing you can automate if you're a homeowner is your um, air filters to come in uh, once a season, right? Because then you mm-hmm. don't think about it. It just mm-hmm. comes in the mail, and you're mm-hmm. like, what the heck did I have? The- oh, right. Time to change. You just take it from the front porch right up to your air filters. Yeah. So you easy. just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, too, that I've um, – I think this kind of applies is I've been really um, – I have a, believe it or not, problem with – perfectionism so i'll just want to go 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 on the thing until like i just want to spend hours on it where it's like hey be okay with good enough particularly not necessarily with things that like are like very very important i'm talking more about like uh i need to find the right excel formula (laughs) you know i've done that before where i'll do like a deep dive being okay like does this need this type of effort the thing i'm trying to do does it demand me to like you know, like go deep and narrow. Yeah, and this Not is really. the the thing I like about like be okay yeah, with good enough. This is the thing I like about it is there's a whole internet movement and podcast movement with um, optimizers, like in the health sphere, even carnivore, in all of these different things. There are these optimizers and what they call maximizers here, and they seek out every possibility and weigh every option before making a decision, and I don't, that is not me, and I'm very happy that's not me. If I'm making an expensive decision, yes, I will spend a lot more time reading reviews, doing this stuff, Yeah. but when it comes time for stupid crap, I'm like, yeah, no, this is good enough. Just get it and stick to it, and let's do it. What's the last one? Um, so this is the last one, and I really like this one. Be, I'm a ruthless, and I'm a filtering in, um, 
information. So he he recommends that like different things that you like reading or like stuff you um, you subscribe to. Um, HBO Max, uh, yeah. other things like like yeah. that. Try to like give it a grade, and if it's below like B minus, then you have to cut it out. Yeah. So it's basically below. So basically, like you, you give it a grade A B C D. F. You know, whatever A B C D E. That's that's not true. A B C D F. If it's below a B minus, say you're gone and just don't even yeah. bother with it. I think that's important, and I think a lot of people do that kind of somewhat naturally. Like they'll they'll. Just go to their. Do they no? though? I don't do know if they not? really do. They, I like. I, I tend to go so. to the voices that I like, that I understand their biases. Like if I'm watching Fox News, for instance, like I understand its biases, and I can. I feel like I can be like, okay, of course they would say that, or you know, like, oh, okay, like I agree with that. And when it comes to YouTube, because you have a quote unquote infinite, practically infinite amount of channels before you. Um, to find the ones that I like, like I don't like, for instance, my family, we watch a DIY wife cause she is hilarious and her husband is great. Um, they're just, it's just the perfect show, perfect DIY show, DIY wife, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get them on this show. I don't care what Luke says, but, uh, yeah. no, but, um, I do think people tend to gravitate towards same old, same old content, but I do agree that there is a whole, internet culture of surfing from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing that I just don't do, so I don't think of that. I think it's easy to do it for the particulars. I think it's harder to do it with things that you're getting it from. Like, could you actually... So, okay, easy to do with YouTube channels. What about YouTube? Right. So then when you have to, like, a measure that, like, you know, it's easy to do it... With shows that are like, we got to a point where I'm like, we're not watching anything on Netflix. Oh, it's awful. Why? Are, let's just stop. Now, I, I don't, I, I don't even know like what's on there. It, yeah. it just, yeah. we just kind of stopped. It was, uh, it, there was no like, we're done with you. It was just like we just kind of stopped. Like, hey, let's just. But I think for like a lot of times we just stick with it because at some point in time we were getting a thing that was good or there was a thing that we, we liked, but yeah. now we're not. And so that's where like the cutting I think is actually the hardest. Because you have to be like, wait, this thing that I'm just doing, like for me, I could see very well like there being a period of time after the World Cup where I'm just kind of done with um, soccer for a bit. <laughs> Get it away from me. Away, I say. Yeah. Just because like, you know, like I've done my thing and now it's like, okay, like I still enjoy it. But like, you know, I just I'll, I'm going to like want a bit of a break because going from like an A to whatever, it's like maybe just cut it out for a bit, and I'll I'll, I'll go back to it. I have no doubt that I'll go I'll back. I'll come to back, it. baby. I love you, baby. Luke doesn't hate you, baby. I'll come yeah. back. Yeah, but like I I think I think you'd be surprised the amount of things in your life that actually, if you were to give it a grade, because I have found when I really do that, there's a lot of stuff that we just kind of go through. It's like, oh, I don't really mm. need to be doing this. You know, it's really funny. I'm looking at you right now, and on either side of your head are two clouds painted on the walls. But but when I your head, when you're now. leaning back a little bit more, like when you're sitting up straight, the clouds are coming out of your ears, and it looks like you're pissed off, but your Bugs Bunny pissed off, and so it's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh! All right, that was a good. Ep- we haven't done one of these kinds of episodes in a while. Nice. All right, Luke. I love you, buddy. Uh, this has been yet Have another beautiful episode of Catching Foxes. Thank you to the Saint Maker for sponsoring this show. 
just a reminder, everyone, St. Maker Journal is incredible. It's seasonal. And the pillar is beating us in ad revenue. So we want to defeat <laughs> yeah, them. Seriously, get off your asses and buy it, douchebags. <laughs> oh, that's mean, Luke. You're mean. You're mean. <laughs> Luke, I just have one thing to say to you. Wash over me. It's a long time in between. That's a, that's a lot of pauses. Does, All right, yeah. Luke, I love you, buddy. All right, love you. Bye. Bye, everyone. I almost hung up on you. <laughs>